I like to play tricks on the pastor. There's one more. Just kidding. We got him. Oh, that's awesome. How are you? I know. Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you, Jamal. Appreciate that. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the love. Hey, a few quick things before I get into, uh, we're launching out a new series tonight. I'm excited. It's going to be good. A uh, couple of books. These are free. Um, they're, they're just sitting in my office, and so every now and again, I pull some things out. And uh, so first come, first serve at the end of the service. I know. I love it. See, there you go. We like boldness. Practice night intern right there. That's what we teach them. That's right. There you go. There you go. The one that's left is is uh, Stephen Furtick's Unqualified. So there you go. So you, you help yourself. You help yourself. So um, Hannah's word that she shared. Come on. Was that not great or what? So good. So while you do it, Alyssa, yeah, come on. We like boldness here at the City Life Church. Boldness and courage is well rewarded. When, when we were in probably the, the, maybe the second song of the worships that I felt like God spoke to me, something I was supposed to share with you, and then when Hannah got up and shared what she shared, I, I really knew I was supposed to share it. And, and this is what I felt like God spoke to me that's for someone here tonight. So God's after someone here tonight, right? If, if you didn't get it when Hannah was sharing it, then hopefully you're going to, he's going to get your attention now. We like God to show up for us all the time and early. Do we not? Who here has ever prayed, God, if you could just be late in my circumstance, this need that I have, if you could wait till the last possible minute, maybe even let me get into crisis before you come. Who's prayed that prayer? Because if you have, we'd like to talk with you after the service. We'd like to share some, right? Who, nobody prays that. Nobody prays the prayer that says, God, I like it when you're involved in my life in an intermittent way. I, I, sometimes I want to feel distant from you, detached, alone. Who prays? Nobody prays that prayer. What if God showed up for us the way that we show up for him? What if God showed up for us the way that we show up for him? Weekend services, life groups, serving in ministry, reading your Bible. We have 12 pathways that we teach. We're gonna, we do a series in our, our, our model of discipleship practice every year, so we're going to get into that at some point in 2017, but our pathways, which are, are spiritual disciplines, intermittent and late. For some of you, that's been your pattern for those 12 pathways, and I just want to encourage you at the beginning of this year that you're going to say to yourself, we're going to be constant and early. Constant and early. I'm going to read my Bible constantly, and, and where I'm supposed to show up, whether it's personally in moments that I've set aside to be with God, whether it's to be with people in community, constant and early. That's how we want God to show up for us. How about we show up that way for him? Come on, in 2017. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Reagan. I know. I know. She cries because she wants me to preach. That's why she cries. She's like, just get it. Just get on with it, would you? Get on with it. So, all right, a couple of more things. One is we've got a, a slide here that uh, if you've been on social media, we're excited. This is our discipleship model that we've been working on here for years at City Life. We finally have it published and in print. And so this is a big step for us as a church. Yep. So 
these, these are for people that are new to the church. That are, this is free for people that are new to the church and have questions about faith. We give this out uh, in addition with the New Believers Handbook. And so if that's you, if you're visiting, if you've got questions about faith in Christ and what that looks like, what discipleship is, that we want to give you one at the end of the service for everyone else, you go to this website and you can pay for yours. All right? Okay, good. All right, letspractice.com. So new series we're launching into tonight called From Ten Towns to Seven Cities. This is my new favorite picture of Jesus, right? I'm calling it, I'm calling it the Kung Fu Jesus right here. And this should be on Netflix, and I would binge watch this. I'm just saying, right? The healing hands of Kung Fu Jesus coming your way. So I was looking for a picture to illustrate this series because we're going to work through verse by verse, which we've never really done here as a sermon series before, the story of the deliverance of the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. And so this is kind of a cartoon sketch of what that might have looked like. And so this is going to be our series that we're launching in tonight that's going to carry us through the second week of February. So the first two weekends of February are going to be a missions emphasis for us to talk about missionaries we support, work that we do around the world. Our very own uh, Shani is going to be preaching that first weekend in February. Come on. I think Shani is here somewhere. I saw it right there. So Shani's going to be sharing that first weekend in February. So make sure you've got that on your calendar because you're going to be here that week and you're going to be here early, right? Because it's 2017. Constant, constant, and early. All right, Mark chapter 5. Let's, let's, let's work through these verses. We're going to read all 20, then we're going to probably just get through the first two verses tonight, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to work our way through. Uh, but I want to spend some time uh, investing in setting up the series as well. So, all right, Mark chapter 5. These are also the notes, because we cover some ground here on Saturday nights, and so uh, it's a PDF through our website, so not only can you listen to the podcast, but you can download the notes. So all the scripture references that we cover here, sometimes we move quicker than you might prefer. If you're a note taker, you can always download that PDF for free at citylifeva.com. So, all right, verse one. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with the chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. And when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the, of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside of this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them into some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire Herd of pigs, 2,000 of them plunged down the steep hillside to Pierce's Barbecue in Williamsburg, Virginia. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Just making sure you're paying attention. 
The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs and the crowd. Listen to this. We're not going to get this until a few weeks, but this is so striking. Pleaded with Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. It doesn't seem like that's the right response, does it? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns, and some translations that actually uses the word decapolis, we're going to talk about what that means, of that region, and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Father, may it be that what this man did is going to be our response, especially in 2017. You have done some things for us. May it be that we would find ourselves courageously going out into this world to tell your story through us in Christ's name. Amen. This story is, is, is interesting because it's also covered in a couple of other of the Gospels, right? The first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the four Gospels. And it's an interesting study. Some good, or If it's a really good study Bible, will we'll show you which stories appear in either just one of the Gospels or three or four, and it will tell you where they are. This actually appears in three of the four Gospels. You can also find this story in Luke chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 8, so it's in Mark 5, Luke 8, and also in Matthew chapter 8. And I think this story gets overlooked sometimes because people read it and they focus on the condition of the man. And so they think to themselves, I'm not sure how much relevance this story is going to have to me because I'm not sure I'm going to encounter people like this in my modern day life. And so you might read it and you might think it's a powerful story, but it might not be one that you're drawn to. And what I would encourage you to do is not focus on the condition of the man because I don't think that's the reason why the text is included in the scripture. I think we're given this story and given it to us in all three gospels, three of the four gospels, because the emphasis is supposed to be on Jesus's desire to bring a message of liberty to someone who's desperate to hear it. And the other emphasis that we're going to find as we work through this series is that the response of the men, because it wasn't just one, it's two, as we're going to find out tonight, is the response of the men is supposed to be instructive to us for what we're supposed to do after we encounter Christ liberating us. The emphasis is on Jesus, what he did, his message, and what we're supposed to do after we experience the liberty that he brings to us. His condition is what we call here at City Life a fill-in-the-blank moment. His condition was that he was oppressed by an evil spirit. Our condition might be something very different, but our condition without Christ bringing the message of the gospel and his liberty that he brings, we're just as trapped as he is and we need his power at work in our lives. We're going to talk about tonight, why does Matthew say that there are two demoniacs, but then in Mark and Luke, we're only told that there's one. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? Maybe you've heard people say this before. This is a reason why the Bible is not reliable, because they, they're telling stories that have contradictions. It's not a contradiction. We're going to cover that tonight. 
Another question that always struck me with this is, why does Jesus negotiate with the demons? Are you, did you read that? It's like it, it, he's, he, he enters into this conversation with these demons, and he allows them to make requests, and then he, it's as though he negotiates. We're not going to do that one tonight, but we're going to do it in the series. How could all these people from that region be so resolute in their reaction after seeing such a demonstration of power? It just seems backwards, doesn't it? You would think that they would say to him, like the woman who was ministered to him, the, the Samaritan at the well, when she went back into the town and began to tell her story, the townspeople came out and they begged Jesus to stay. But that's not what these people, these people said, we want you to get out of here. They were afraid. Why was that? And the last one that we're going to dig around in this series is, what is the connection between the storm and the healing? Because both in Mark and in Luke and in Matthew, the story immediately preceding the deliverance of the demoniac is the story of Jesus calming the sea. It's the first example in Jesus' ministry where he demonstrates power over nature. And in that story that we're told of Jesus, he's taking a nap. It's a great biblical reference for why naps are are godly, right? He's sleeping in the boat. They wake him up. He calms the sea, and then that's when they arrive here and they deliver this man. Is there a connection between the storm and the healing? We're going to cover that in this series. All right, so what do you, what do you call this area? We like a little participation here at City Life. What, what do you, when, when you refer to this area, to where you live, what do you, what do you call it? Hampton Roads. Anybody else? The 757, yeah. Peninsula. Tidewater, yeah. Somebody else, anybody else? Coastal Virginia, Amber in the back. What do you call it? Bold Island? Bull Island. I don't know that one. All right, I'm going to start using that. Oh, it's a Pocosin thing. Anybody here from Pocosin? <laughs> That's great, I love it. All right, I do, I just, I, I snuck over here a little bit because I have a Starbucks gift card I want to give this young man because of his jersey. Come on. Rocking the Redskins jersey. I'm a lifelong Redskins fan, so I feel your pain. Come on. Our, Redskins, our, our season is over. Our season is over, but he's not a Fairweather fan, and I like that. So we're rewarding courage. What, anybody else? One that you, sh- what do you use? Southside, because you are. For, right? Come on, Southside Campus representing tonight. Who here from the Southside Campus tonight? A few people. I see some faces out there. It's good to have you. Right? I find for me, I use different ones for different settings. Right? So I use the 757 like on social media, but like if I'm at an airport and someone says, where are you from? You know, I don't say the 757 and throw up the hashtag. You with me? Right? Right, so do you use different ones for different, right? If I'm talking to people that live here, I'll typically use the peninsula because people are familiar with that. And maybe if they're from the East Coast, I might say coastal Virginia. I, use, I say Virginia Beach a lot if I'm talking with people that are from far away places. As we, we live in an area close to Virginia Beach because it's a, re, a resort destination. So people tend to, 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 to be familiar with where that is geographically. We, we have phrases that we use because we want people to understand where we're from because there's an identity that we have with the place where we live, right? There's a connection that we have. And so we have all of these different phrases, all of these different ways that that we communicate with people because it speaks of our culture, where we live. Sometimes it speaks of our work and our vocation, right? And, And guess what? It's always been that way. 
That's not new for us. 2,000 years ago, when, when these stories were happening, it was the same for them. And so when you read these accounts in the Bible, these geographic notations are not just given to us because they had to meet a certain number of words to satisfy the essay that God had given to them for the Bible, right? Is that they, one is that they, they give us some spatial understanding. Another one is that, that, that it reminds us about the, what we call the historicity of Scripture, that the Bible is not a book of fables, that it's actually history. So the Holy Spirit inspired people to name cities and, and other rulers and kings and governors so, that, so, that, so the Bible would have a, a sense of, 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 uh, of, 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? It, it, it would have a sense of, of being on par with other secular works that people trust to instruct their life. So God says, we're going to put this one up here with the rest. And in some instances, in some instances, the names of these geographic locations are prophetic. It's not always, but it most certainly is in this story. This story is so powerful for many reasons, as we will see throughout this series. But one of the most impactful insights is that this is the first time that Jesus took his message outside of the Jewish world that is familiar to him. One of our 12 pathways is reaching, and this series is going to challenge us to ask ourselves, where am I reaching, who am I reaching, and how am I working to expand my reach with the message of Jesus? All right, somebody say the place. The place. Verse 1 says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee, and that has about three or four different names depending on who's writing, in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, as you get to the end of this text, as we read, right, there's the phrase called the ten towns or the ten cities. And depending on the Bible that you have, it might have the word Decapolis in there because Decapolis is this Greek word that was given to this region that speaks to the ten cities that comprised it. Let's throw a map up here so we can see it. So you'll see the ones, it may be hard for you to see the, the color differentiation, but it's the ones that that are in black, those are the 10 cities that make up the Decapolis. And right there next to Hippos, you see that blue dot, and right next to that says the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were in Capernaum, and they were coming across the lake, making their way to the region of the Decapolis. All right, let's look at the next one. Now, this one, it would be if you took that map that we were just looking at and turn it sideways. So Jesus and the disciples were coming from down here, and they were making their way over here to this region, the Decapolis. Now, I wanted you to see this one because I want you to see the topography of the land. You see the cliffs and the mountains that are there on the other side. Now, in ancient times, people used these hillsides as cemeteries. Right? It wasn't like what we do today where there's buried in the ground and then there's a, a headstone. They would carve out these little caves in the sides of these cliffs and their dead would be buried in there. And so that's one of the reasons why the demoniac lived in this place is because some of those caves were a little bit more elaborate depending on how wealthy you were and what you built for your family when they were going to be buried. And so it provided him a shelter and a place to live. And most scholars would, would, would agree that he probably wasn't the only one that was living there. In fact, we know that there was another one because of the Gospel of Matthew. All right, let's look at one more. 
Now, if you kind of let your vision kind of wander up the, the Jordan River to the top, that top blue dot, it, 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 it looks like a hole in this region, and that's exactly what it was. The, the, and that's why storms happen so much in the Sea of Galilee, that these storm systems would come off the Mediterranean Sea, and they would come rushing over the land, and there were no mountains up there to stop it. You can see the plain right there, right? And then it would just come crashing down the mountains into the Sea of Galilee, and it would stir up these storms, and the storm's important, and we're going to get to that in the series as we come. All right, you can go to the, back to the original slide. Decapolis are 10 cities. It's 10 cities, and they were originally founded in Greek culture. Alexander the Great put these 10 cities here, and even though they are now under Roman control, it is a Greek culture, and Greek culture values power and knowledge above all else, and we're going to get into that as we talk about why they wanted Jesus to leave. Power and knowledge was part of the culture of these towns and of these cities. All right, now listen to this. Here in the beginning of the text, Mark, as he's writing this, he could have mentioned any one of these 10 cities, right? But he says the region of the Gerasenes, and those are the people that lived in the one of the towns that's of the 10. Now, he could have listed anything. This is what I love about the Bible and the Holy Spirit. The, see, though, Mark thinks that he's just writing this letter to people to tell the story of Christ. He doesn't know that he's contributing to Holy Scripture. You tracking with me? The, the letters that Paul wrote, the epistles, these are people that are just being faithful in the moment, like what Hannah was talking about, what God was asking. They had no concept that one day their letters were going to be included in the Bible. And so, Mark, I love how the Gospels are written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because two of them, Matthew and John, are disciples, but the other two were not disciples. Luke and Mark were people that traveled with Paul and others as the church began to be planted and spread throughout the Roman Empire. I love that because it tells us that the stories of the disciples had become embraced by others outside of their circle. See, if it had just been the 12, then it would have been suspect that these are just stories that they conceived of themselves and agreed together. But now we've got people that are one group of people removed who have embraced the stories that the 12 have told, and now the church is spreading throughout the Roman Empire. Mark's sitting down one day to write this story, and he's putting together the details. The Holy Spirit is guiding and leading him, and he gets to this one story, and he has to pick one of the ten. Which one is it going to be? And in that moment, he might not have even understood the significance. The Holy Spirit whispers, Gerasenes. Why is that? Because Gerasenes translates literally a stranger drawing near. A stranger that's drawing near. Are you willing to draw near to some strangers with the gospel in 2017? Our reaching cannot continue to just be in the places with the people that are familiar. It is the first time that Jesus has stepped out of the Jewish world and brings the message of the gospel into a Gentile-dominated culture. It's one of the reasons why sometimes people read, why was there a herd of pigs? Because pigs were unclean to Jews, because these weren't Jewish people. These were Greeks. This was a, a whole different culture. It would be like if you left here and went to another country, and there's different languages and different practices. There's a different culture. Jesus left what was familiar to him to go take the message, his message, of liberation to these people. He was a stranger to them. 
and they were a stranger to him, but he was willing to draw near to them with the message of the gospel. You and I in 2017, God is going to continue to ask us to reach people with the message of the gospel who are familiar, but he's going to challenge us to get outside of our comfort zone, to go into places, to strike up conversations with people, regardless of our personality, regardless of our background and who we have a sense of connection and familiarity with. Jesus had nothing in common with these people, nothing. But yet he was willing to go. He was willing to be the stranger that would draw near. And that's what God's asking for us. Let's watch this video together and then we're going to dig into verse 2. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Hannah, you got to see this. Look at this. not seen that yet. Congratulations. Thank you. Start getting everything. Okay. So I can't believe it. What is it? You gotta be kidding me. It's great. Hey, come here. You gotta listen to the story. I have something to show you. the teenagers. The elderly couple on the swing, they were reading something called a newspaper. (laughs) Newspaper. You can Google that later and find out what that is. Newspaper, what was that strange thing they were holding in their hand? All of us are holding something in our hands. And it's the story of how Jesus has changed our lives. And we look at that and some of us are reliving our lives on that screen because we have tasted of the excitement that comes to us in each one of those settings. And we could not be silenced. We couldn't, right? Those of you who maybe have 
been engaged or, or you, you, you saw that movie that you needed the world to see. Like the list goes on and on. It's not just what we saw there. We could keep making a list of moments where if someone had said, be quiet, we wouldn't even have listened to them because we were so excited about the news that we needed to share. At some point, what Jesus has done in our lives has got to well up inside of us like the good news that it is, and we cannot be silenced as we share with the world that's within our reach. Somebody say the two. The two. Matthew chapter 8. Oh, come on, this is good. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of Gadarenes, right? So now we have a different person, same author, the Holy Spirit. Matthew was inspired to pick a different city. Remember, there's 10, that's Deca 10, Decapolis. Now, Matthew doesn't say the region of the Gerasenes. He says the region of the Gadarenes. Now, this is a different city, and that's intentional. Now, listen to what Matthew says. Matthew says, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs. And were so violent that no one could go through that area. Everything that Mark tells us about the one is true of the two. Now how many of you have read this before and thought, why is that, right? Why is there one here but there's two there? There were two and it's not a contradiction, it's intentional. In fact, what I hope you're going to learn tonight is that it's instructive. That, that it was the, by the design of the Holy Spirit for Mark and Luke to leave out the other and for Matthew to include the two because together it tells us the story that we're supposed to learn. Now listen to this, Gadarenes, Gadarenes, translates reward at the end. It's powerful, isn't it? Reward at the end. The Holy Spirit is writing one big story throughout Scripture. And then he weaves it all together. Because there is a reward at the end for the one who's willing to be a stranger that draws near with the gospel. There is a reward at the end for the one who is willing to be a stranger that draws near with the gospel. It isn't a contradiction. It's not a mistake. It's an example of why some misinformed people say we can't trust the Bible. If we ever find ourselves in a place where we feel like the Bible is contradicting itself, the Bible doesn't have a problem, our understanding does, and we have to keep digging until we find the answer. Matthew 27, 38 to 44, listen to this. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him. So we're moving forward in time. One on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, isn't he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Listen to verse 44. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed in the same way. There were two, and Matthew says that they were both entering into mockery. Luke 23, 39 to 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. 
So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. What is that about? Is it another example of where the the Bible seems to have an editing problem? That the angels that were in charge of making sure that everything was perfectly assimilated, that things got left out and overlooked or mistaken? No, it's a story of how Christ changes our hearts. That the two thieves both mocked. Two thieves both scoffed. Two thieves entered into a time of ridicule, but the longer they stayed in Jesus' presence, one of their hearts began to turn. Isn't that exactly how it is with us? We come to him, we resist him. Maybe part of your story is that you've mocked him or others who have followed him, but you just kept coming, and now you're one of the people that says, let me tell you how Christ has changed my life. Because you were willing to linger in his presence, he transformed your heart. That's why there were two demoniacs in the story of Matthew, because God wants us to understand that sometimes, even though Jesus does profound things in our lives, some of us are not willing to make the sacrifices for the reward to be the stranger that draws near with the gospel. You see, Matthew tells us about two because Matthew is trying to tell us about the one that we're not supposed to become. And Luke and Mark give us the story of one to be the example of who, of who we're supposed to be. Luke and Mark leave out the one not because they forgot, not because they were confused, not because they were mistaken, but because God is trying to elevate for us an example of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do after Jesus comes and sets us free that something inside of us should want to come to him and say, Jesus, tell me what I should do now. Who are the people in my life that I need to tell? Matthew 8. 29 to 32, they began screaming at him, why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us to the herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded. Listen to what it says. So the demons came out of the men, not the one, both. Both men were set free. Both men lived in caves. Both men lived their lives naked. Both men lived their lives with so many demonic spirits oppressing them that legion was the right name to describe. A legion could have as many as 6,000 men in Roman time. That's a whole lot of evil in one person, and that many were in both. Both men? would be put in chains and shackles and and, and supernatural strength because of the evil that was within them would allow them to break. Both men, both men ostracized from their communities and from their families living a, a horrid and terrible existence and Jesus set them both free. 
It doesn't say, Matthew doesn't say he set one free, but he left the other one the way that he was. It says both were set free. Listen to Mark. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Where's the other guy? Where, where is he? Can you imagine this kind of demonstration of Christ's power in your life? And he, he doesn't even come back to say thank you. Regardless of whether or not he would come back, right? This is what Hannah, Hannah hasn't been in these notes, but she might as well have been from what she was taught. This is the story of Cain and Abel, right? One of them that doesn't even do the bare minimum. You think that caught Jesus by surprise? You think Jesus got in the boat? Well, if I'd known he was going to treat me like that, I wouldn't have set him free, right? Did, did he say to those demons and the pigs at the bottom, you can go back to that one? No, no, no. He doesn't do that. He set him free anyways because that's what Jesus does. Because that's how great his love is. But it's not supposed to be permission for us to become like that man. It gives us hope. It gives us faith that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for the liberation that salvation brings into our lives, but it sure enough is supposed to inspire us to become like the other. There is a reward for those who are willing to be the stranger that draws near with the message of the gospel. Now, regardless of what you believe about the rewards that are going to come in heaven, that's another sermon for another time, but I guarantee you this, the greatest reward, the greatest reward of being the stranger that draws near to others with the gospel is to see transformation happen in that person's life in the here and now. There's nothing better. For some of you, that needs to motivate you in 2017. The person that you've not wanted to talk to. The person that in your prayer you've been saying, God, please don't let it be them that I'm supposed to invite to church. Right? Anybody else said that prayer? Right? You're, you're in a hurry in the store and you've got a schedule to keep and all of a sudden you feel like God's beginning to prompt you to just to begin to strike up a conversation with someone just to see where it might go and maybe there's an opportunity to talk with them about Christ and we say, God, please not. not I, I've got too much to do today. We're all going to have those moments. All of us are going to fail. What we cannot let happen is that the pattern of failure that has defined our past cannot be what shapes us in our tomorrow. Something inside of us has got to say, God, I want to reach better. I want to reach more. I want to I reach with a, a, a greater degree of passion and confidence. Right? At some point, I want my heart to cross that threshold where, where I'm waking up every day saying, I'm not there yet myself. That, right? But this is where I want to get there, where I'm waking up every day with a sense of expectation. God, who is it that, that I'm supposed to be the stranger that draws near to them today with the gospel. 2017 is going to be a reaching year for our church. And the only way that's going to happen is that if it's a reaching year for you. Gadarenes, a reward. Genesaries, the stranger drawing near. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back up.
Who here has not been set free in some measure by Jesus? If you haven't, then you haven't met him. Mark and Luke focus on the one because they're telling the story of the one we're supposed to be. Matthew reminds us there are two to remind us of who we must not become. There is a reward at the end when we are willing to become a stranger that draws near with the gospel. You know, we're going to close with this song tonight, and I just, I want to encourage you to find a quiet place in your heart. I, I want to encourage you to find a quiet place in your heart. And this is what I want you to do as we, as we step into this moment of worship together. I want you to think about all the things that God has done for you in your life. I dare say that probably none of us have lived in the circumstance and the situation of the person in the text. But you know what? It doesn't make our story any less significant. Your story of how God has met you is just as important to God as that story that we just read. Just as important because you matter to him. And just as Hannah shared, whatever it is that he's set you free from, in the process of setting you free from, or still needs to set you free from, is the obstacle that's keeping you from going out and telling all the people about Christ that you're supposed to go and tell. It's interesting, isn't it? It was his deliverance. It wasn't just about him. It was about the message that he was supposed to bring. As we, as we sing this song, think about what God has done for you. And then it, if, if you dare... If you dare, make this song an opportunity to be your chance to walk up to Jesus and say, can I come with you? Who do you want to send me to to tell about my own salvation? Father, let us be the people that won't be turned away. Father, your word tells us there was an incredible crowd of people that were there on that day, and yet this man, he fought through that crowd, imploring Jesus, let me come with you. And then there's this moment of his commission to go and tell. Father, may it be that you would find us as a people that are willing to go and tell to chase after the reward that comes for those who are willing to be the stranger that draws near with the gospel. Let's stand and worship together.